When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. This episode of Can't Wait is presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Place your first bet of $10 with BetMGM and win $200 regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just sign up at the bonus code ATHLETICNY. The Super Bowl is over. The Rams are the champs. Now the real season begins for teams like the Jets. Full steam ahead into free agency and the draft. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. Marissa Morris's final episode before the big day. It's over, guys. Oh, shit. I thought move. she was leaving. I was like, are you Did no one tell me? <laughs> this is Marissa's final episode before <laughs> leaving. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> all right. Well, Surprise. All right. No. Sorry, it's the yeah, off-season Connor mode. Yeah. The honeymoon will never end. She's not coming yeah. back now. Marissa will be back, but but this is her last episode before the big day. Uh, we are going to talk about the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about how the Jets can become the Bengals and maybe take it the next step and win the Super Bowl. How the Jets found the secret to their draft maybe uh, last year. We'll talk about that. Connor wrote a great story about that this week. Uh, but we have to start with the can't wait pick em pool because we have a champion and we've I done this have queued up. I should have queued up. We are the you champions. Should. Come you on. Should. I, that was like really maybe maybe let me try this can you hear this yeah. we can hear this yes i don't know what this is i don't know this. it's just a new music feature added into Streamyard. but yes go me i am the champion connor Dance maybe for the audio version you should put in champions yeah that would probably yeah. be better i i should have been thinking but yeah very proud of myself um i'd like to thank all my fans um i'm just really happy to be connor yeah i'd like to thank she i'd like to personally thank shield kavadia <laughs> for his expert advice um and yeah can't wait to beat you guys again next year so yeah. just to sum it up because for if people didn't see it on twitter it, it was a half game lead for marissa going into the super bowl they both submitted their picks privately so that there was no shenanigans and uh connor went with the rams marissa went with the bengals plus four mm-hmm. and the Bengals lost by three. So Marissa yeah. wins. Thanks to the I was getting spread. real nervous because that extra yeah, kick good. really helped me. Yeah, although you would have won on the push. So, I would have won so on the, the push. The extra yeah. point yeah. actually would have, wouldn't have made a difference, but a great finish. And now we've done this competition for three years of the podcast. We've been doing, we've the, all the won, right? We've all won. Three years and we've all won one. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, crazy. Been doing uh, this next three years. year start over i don't know but yeah, good but connor, stuff connor um, hasn't won in two years so that's just well like- i will say going into this one was when like I, I knew i had ground to make up so like going into the conference championship round i think the divisional round was like i'm just gonna fade marissa whatever marissa picks i'll bet the opposite because it's the only way that i can make up ground and marissa got into a little bit of a lull so i made up ground going into the final week so marissa got very upset at me just constantly fading her and she's like no we have to turn in our picks anonymously i'm not making mine first i was like well you can yeah. make it first go ahead i was like but so I had to play like this mind game within myself of like, who is Marissa going to pick? So I thought 
you probably would pick the Rams. Like I thought that's the team you would wanted to have picked. You would have wanted to have picked. So the Rams. why did you pick How- them? Because I thought you would pick the Bengals thinking I picked the Bengals, knowing that I bet the Bengals like all year, like the Bengals <laughs> were my team. Like, cause I, I like, seriously, like growing up as a kid, like the Bengals were my second favorite team. Cause I love Carson Palmer and I oh, love the color okay. orange and I love they make the Super Bowl. And now they were your second. Favorite. No, you can go. I mean, I got Madden logs. I can show you my Madden logs where I had uh-huh. my, my, my giants franchise and I had my Bengals franchise. Like I love them both. I just loved Carson Palmer. I can't explain it because I'm not a USC fan. I wasn't really, I just liked Carson Palmer. I liked him a lot. And I like Chad Johnson a lot. So I just, I liked those Bengals. I didn't like, you know, struggle when they became this like dysfunctional bad team. Like I didn't care about that, but they, I just like orange, orange is my favorite color. It's honestly why I picked Mets over. I know know there's another team that's orange in Cleveland. I mean, in Ohio, in Ohio. (laughs) True. Yeah. But they're, they don't have cool. I also love the Bengals uniforms, like the, the tiger stripes and all that stuff. I don't know. I'm, I'm not even like a Jersey guy, but yes, like, you know, uniform Jersey guy, but yeah. So I, I was like, all right, Marissa's probably going to pick the Bengals trying to just make sure, no, I'm going to pick the Bengals. So I picked the Rams. You picked the Bengals. Like, all right, let's go into it. But I did have a preseason Super Bowl bet on the Rams, which hit. So I was happy with that. Now I'm going to get new irons. So I'm excited about that one. So Connor made the right pick because you just had to have the opposite team from Marissa. It mm-hmm. just came down to, just to Joe work. Burrow doing just yeah. enough, staying off his back just long enough, man. Oh man, that game. <laughs> If the Jets can take one thing, Connor, we'll get into this a little more, but at least they're ahead of the Bengals as far as offensive line goes. I mean, that incredible watching that game. The fact that they got to the Super Bowl with that offensive line mm-hmm. is a tribute to Joe Burrow and what he's been able to do. But I mean, in that fourth quarter, the poor guy. Oh, yeah, it was, it was actually pretty wild, man, because that was the thing was I was surprised like going into the game. Like picking like who you think is going to win was like the entire time I was like, well, I think the Rams are going to win the game. It's just where they're going to cover. Like, I didn't know what the line was going to be because Super Bowls are always pretty close. You got two weeks to prepare for a team. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of adrenaline. They're almost always pretty close. Like that spreads almost pretty on. So if it was like five, six, I was like, that just felt too juicy. Even four felt weird. I honestly thought this one was going to go off at like three, three and a half, like something like that. Um, But when I was like looking at who was actually going to win the game, the one thing I kept going back to was the line like this is arguably the best pass rush in the NFL or one of the best pass rushes in the NFL with Von Miller and Aaron Donald, even some of the other guys they rotate in and out with Floyd and things like that. And then this is a, a Bengals team that they couldn't block you or me coming off the edge. I mean, they're, they're, they're awful. And then you also add in the fact that Rams have a pretty good secondary. Like it was a matchup nightmare for Cincinnati where I didn't really know what they were going to do offensively. And I was stunned to see so many like national people picking the Bengals to win like like everyone and I'm not even talking like writers I'm talking about like TV people and radio people and print people like everyone was on the Bengals to win the game and it was always like despite the fact everything has a like despite the fact every matchup and everything says here that oh he can't be like oh it all says the Rams should win I'm still picking the Bengals it all says the Rams I'm still picking the Bengals and I'm like man that's that's I actually was like hesitant to be like should I hedge my Rams Super Bowl bet after listening to everyone and then I was like you know what no, I'm not going to do this. Like, let's just stick with what we said. We were going to let's ride out the Rams and just see what happens here. And I'll be honest, if Odell doesn't go down, I think the Rams might win this one by by a full touchdown, two touchdowns, because they were yeah, that Rams offense. They weren't they weren't being stopped like the Bengals were not stopping the Rams offense when Beckham was in there. They were going up and down the field. They were fine. Beckham goes down. They've already lost Robert Woods. Suddenly, these other wide receivers have to come in who obviously, you know, they're they're now you're talking about four five, six guys. And you started to see that offense sputter. I mean, the Rams defense did enough, I thought, 
to make this a, I mean, it was one fluky, no, no call OPI, which is how they scored seven other points on the long touchdown right after the half. Aside from that, the Rams defense, I thought stood on their head personally. Like I, I thought the Rams defense did everything they wanted. The Rams offense just couldn't really move the ball after Beckham went down, but they did just enough to win. And uh, I was sweating it out a little bit. I'll be honest. Like after, what was it? The Bengals went up. What was it? They wasn't two touchdowns. I don't think did they, but they were up like a score. Then the Rams kicked 20 field goal, to or was 13, it? right? 20 yeah, to 13. Yeah, something like that. So it was a touchdown game. Then they kicked the field goal, and then they got the touchdown. When they went up that, I was like, mm. and then I think the Rams went three and out. Bengals got the ball back at some point, and I was like, I don't know. Now I'm a little nervous because now if the Bengals score, you're talking about a two possession game, and the Rams haven't been able to move. But it was, uh, it was a, a a financially rewarding week, I would say. We should do like for the can't we pick them pool. We should put like I'll just put twenty bucks in winner takes all something like that. So or yeah, like we've never done an actual other than bragging rights. So I think now that we've each won a season, we can kind of. I think we said at one point that we were going to like all go out to dinner and and the loser doesn't pay or something, but then the pandemic hit and that, yeah, we haven't been out to dinner, but Marissa's (laughs) got a wedding to pay for. You have a baby to take care of. Connor needs, new irons. Connor needs new irons. You're right. Connor needs new irons. Well, we're we're on pause here. Yes. Connor turned 30 since our last podcast. Oh, that's right. I did. I'm 30. 30. I'm old. Free through Connor, a surprise, surprise party yeah. this weekend. She is the GOAT. Obviously, we all know that. All but golf yeah, themes. Connor is, awesome. is officially yeah. 30 years old. So uh, two of the three people on this podcast are old now. Yep. Yeah. And how old is Marissa? 27? Yep. 28? I'll be 28 March 14th. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you're, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you and Michael, I think, are the same age as, uh, or no, Michael's younger than you, right? Michael turns 28 in August. I'm six okay. months so older than him. Okay. And he reminds yeah. me that all the time. <laughs> Cougar. I don't know if I would get in trouble by saying it. So I was going to, it was like on the tip of my tongue. I was like, I'll bring it back in. And then when you said, it, I'm like, okay, I guess we're good now. Yeah. One more thing on the Super Bowl halftime. Um, great. I thought um, yeah, awesome. I wasn't sure going in with that collection. If it was going to be just like, okay, this is kind of, you know, a long time ago, but they brought him in, and it was like for me, being the oldest person here, it was really memories of, uh, of like I love that halftime show, that stuff. Yeah, it was it was great. I love everything team, about it. Everybody ranks them. The Athletic posted it as number four all time, um, but uh, but it, it, yeah, it had everything right from from the number of different people, the songs they chose, the set, everything was good. Yeah, yeah I, dude, it. I loved it. And it was like, but that's like my childhood. Like, and I think I get like, I, I understand the people that don't like it if they don't like hip hop, because it wasn't like hip hop's kind of a hot or cold thing. Like you either like it or you don't like it. So I know like there were people that were at the Super Bowl party I was with that are like big country music fans. Were like, oh, I don't like this. And I'm like, well, like, this is still good. Like, I liked hip hop growing up as a kid. I still like hip hop now as a as a 30 year old man. Like, I still like <laughs> like this kind of like I like that music. And to see Eminem, like Eminem's one of my favorites of all time. But then to see 50 who I remember like having to sneak some of his music on like my iPod or my iPod to listen to it on the bus. Cause you know, my parents didn't want me to listen to that bad music. Like I, like I, I loved, I loved 50 and obviously Dre and, and Snoop was awesome. Like the whole thing I thought was great. The only one that I wasn't a huge fan of was just Mary J Blige, but that's just because I don't listen to her music, but everyone oh, else she was, was just like, well, yeah, I'm sure she was, but like, I just don't listen to that. So that was like one after another of like, when I think of like, getting pump up music like i think of like if you want to go old old school you can go to like acdc and like guns and roses and like some of those old songs like you can really like that was you know running out to hell's bells when i was playing football when i was little but like hip-hop was what you listened to to get fired up and to hear like when eminem came on like that was when it was like wow like you know so i listened to it i actually watched it again this morning getting ready for the show and it was like 
getting goosebumps again, hearing it for the second time. So I thought it was really cool. I, I liked it. I don't know how you can really criticize it unless you just like you can't you can say I don't like hip hop and that's why you don't like it. I really don't think you can come out and say that was a bad halftime show because I thought it was awesome. Yeah, it was it was great. Uh, we ha- we have much more to get to. We're going to talk about the Bengals blueprint, the Jets, how that works together. Looking ahead to the draft, what the what the Jets philosophy is going to be going into it as a uh, franchise and as an organizational structurally. Uh, but we're also taking some questions from you, the listeners, the people that are tuning in on YouTube live. So, Marissa, anybody ready to go? Yeah, we have two questions ready to go, but we are going to go with Joe first. And he has a question about Brandon Eccles and Bryce Hall. So let me get him in here. Hey, Joe. Hey, guys. Um, What's up, man? Um, um, first, um, my question is, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter, especially over the last two weeks when there's been no football to watch, saying they think Brandon Eccles has more potential than Bryce Hall. And like just from watching it last season, I thought Bryce Hall played much better than Eccles. Eccles just had a couple interceptions and he took that one for a touchdown, the pick six. It's like, is, does, is Eccles long-term better or is it just he had one or two more interceptions than Hall did? Yeah, so I, here's the thing with like the Eccles stuff. And and I know I actually, com- I, I wrote it in a comment. Like I replied to it on a comment on, on a story and like people blew up and then I wrote something in a story about how like, And this is true. This is what the Jets want to do. Like, this is not like me making it up. This isn't like my opinion. This is what the Jets want to do. They want to go out there. And we've talked about this at a corner who excels at getting interceptions. Like that is something that they want to do. They want a veteran corner who can go out there and excel at getting interceptions. And and there are players out there that are like that guys that just have a knack for punching the ball out, picking passes off. They just find themselves. They call them ball hawks because they're constantly around the football. The Jets don't really have that. That's not really Eccles. That's not really Mike Carter. That's not really Bryce Hall. They want to go find that player. What they want to do is they want to add that player, have that player be cornerback one, and then create a competition on the other side. And that competition on the other side will involve Bryce Hall, will involve Brandon Eccles, and will involve Isaiah Dunn. I would give Bryce Hall the slight nod and the slight advantage where he's going to begin the season or begin the offseason as the starter out there. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he'll finish it. I mean, the Jets want a healthy competition, a cornerback. They believe they have three good players there. They like Hall. They like Dunn. They like Eccles. They believe all three of those guys can play. And what they want to do is create this environment and create this situation where you have an open competition on the other side and the best man wins. Now, I said this and I wrote this and people are like, oh, my God. Now, Bryce Hall has become this figure and he's been like this since the Jets drafted him. But he has become this figure where, like, fans have inflated his worth to the point where, like, you would think this guy's a borderline Pro Bowl player. Like, oh, my God, he had this many bat downs. He had this many close coverage. Receivers only got this much separation on yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. This happens when you have a team that is not very good. Bryce Hall probably starts on three or four other teams in the NFL, if that. That's just a fact. He's not, like, that great. He's not that elite. He's a good player. He certainly is a great player for where the Jets drafted him. He's somebody the Jets believe in and want to continue to develop him. But let's not inflate him to the point where he's a borderline Pro Bowl player. Joe Douglas also drafted Brandon Eccles. They signed Isaiah Dunn. So these are two guys that they saw all throughout the year. They saw their potential. They saw their optimism. They they believe that these guys can develop into something. Saying that the Jets want to create this open competition on the other side is not a slight at Bryce Hall. It's as much saying that the Jets like what they have in Hall they like what they have in Eccles, and they like what they haven't done. So they want to play the best player. So if Brandon Eccles takes a legitimate step going into next season, and he develops, and he really improves, and he shows up to OTAs, and he's a better player than Bryce Hall, 
then they're going to start Eccles. If Isaiah Dunn takes the similar jump and he jumps Eccles and he jumps Hall, they're going to start Isaiah Dunn. If Hall takes the next step and he improves and he's the better player, they're going to start Hall. Like that's the, the healthy competition and the healthy environment that the Jets want to create and the Jets want to have between their three cornerbacks on that other side. This is not a bad problem. This is not a slight at Bryce Hall. This is a good thing for the Jets. This means that you want to go out there and add a number one corner, and then you feel confident with three other players to potentially start on the other side of your defense. That's a good thing. That's a good problem. And also, imagine this. Bryce Hall is your starter. He gets hurt. Eccles now has to go in. Will you feel comfortable in Eccles? Eccles gets the job. He gets hurt. Hall goes in. You feel comfortable in Hall. Like, the Jets are creating not just a good starting unit, but good depth behind them. So, honestly, look, this, this was – I think this is blown out this has been blown out of proportion a little bit with like, the, oh, my God, the Jets hate Bryce Hall. The Jets don't hate Bryce Hall. They just want to create a culture and create an environment where they have an open competition on the other side. Because while they like Hall, they also like Eccles and they also like Dunn. As far as who's so. the better player, like it's we'll, we'll find out. We'll, we'll find out right. when 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 OTAs and minicamp and training camp begin and you see who's getting beat in those games and see who's not getting beat in those games and who's improving and who's playing better. And the thing is, when you're when you're in the Jets position, you have these guys developing. That's what you want. You want to see who develops and you hope that they're all good and you actually have depth, which would be something crazy and new for this franchise as we go forward. Um, all right. Great question. We have some more. We'll get to a little bit later in the show. We're going to take our first break. We'll be back in a bit. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, we just finished up talking about the Super Bowl, the Bengals. This is a Bengals franchise that quickly turned things around and... We talk about, Connor, how the Jets can kind of go along that same route, hopefully. I mean, the, the Bengals were a joke just a couple of years ago. The year they got Joe Burrow, they went 2-14. and 14. Uh, Last year, he was banged up for part of the season. There was some improvement shown, but not a lot. And then this year, bam, they're a good team that gets hot at the right time, and they go all the way to the Super Bowl. They're flawed. We talked about that. The offensive line has a lot of holes. But let's just talk about how do the Jets do what the Bengals did and I guess the first thing is the quarterback and the Bengals got Joe Burrow. And I'm sure nobody is ready to say Zach Wilson is on that level. In fact, we have a lot of questions about Zach Wilson. But if the Jets are going to do this, Zach Wilson needs to become a good quarterback. Yeah, and we're not going to. I mean, like I, I know people have said like, oh, look at the jump Joe Burrow took in year two compared to year one. And he did. But like trying to compare Sam's rook or Sam uh, uh, Zach's rookie year to Joe's rookie year is pointless. Like, like it really is absolutely pointless. I mean, I went back and I looked aside from Zach going, what was it like three and 10 as a starter and Joe going two seven and one as a starter as a rookie. The numbers were just completely different. I mean, it, Joe Burrow's completion percentage as a rookie in 10 games was a 65.3. He threw for 2,600 yards. He had 13 touchdowns, five interceptions, quarterback rating of 89.8. There's absolutely no, I mean, look, he, Jeff fans get so like worked up and like upset when you start talking about this. And I get it because so much of this team's success and it's true. All of this team's success really is tied to Zach Wilson and, and Zach Wilson's ability. So when you criticize him or you show numbers or something that, that may indicate that he is not the guy or that he needs to dramatically get better or stuff like that, it makes them very 
upset and alarmed because it's like, no, we can't have just messed up again. We can't have gotten the wrong quarterback again, but there's no way you grow across the board and look at his numbers, whether it's the three and 10 record as a starter, the 55.6 completion percentage, only throwing for 2,300 yards, nine touchdowns, 11 interceptions, a quarterback rating of 69. You can't look at those things and come away and say like, oh, yeah, we definitely have the guy. I mean, there's look, you're not willing to give up on this guy yet. You're not willing to be insanely alarmed, but you know, and the Jets know, and they've let Zach Wilson know he's got to get significantly better. Yes, it was great to see him avoid the turnovers, but you look at the, I mean, the guy not once threw for 300 yards last year. He not once threw for more than two touchdowns in a, in a, in a game. Like his completion percentage was under 60, all but one, two, three times. I mean, that game against the Bills, yeah, the offensive line played terrible and 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 the receivers didn't help him at all. But Zach went out there almost like, all right, this is, this is a disaster. Seven of 20, 87 yards and a touchdown in four quarters, that's bad. So I don't think you can look at Zach and say like, oh, Joe Burrow took such a huge step in the right direction. Zach Wilson's going to do the same thing because the baseline for Joe to improve on, he yeah, he completed 70% of his passes this year, completed 65 last year. I think for Zach... Where he, where he needs to get in year two, and it's what you said, Tim, is good. Just, just get to a point where you are good above average. If you can do that, you'll see this Jets team take a legitimate step forward. I'm not saying playoffs. I'm not saying Super Bowl. But take, get to the point where you are, as a quarterback, good. You are above average. And then think about getting to the next level where you can say, yeah, this is a guy who's going to be our quarterback for the next 10 to 12 seasons. This is a guy that we believe we can win games because of. Focus on getting to that level next year or in, in year three. I'm sorry. Get to the next, next level in year three. This coming season, 2022, where I think Zach needs to get to is he needs to be the, he can't be the reason the Jets lose games. There were several times last year. There were several games last year where the Jets lost because of their issues at quarterback, where the Jets offense was having problems because of their issues at quarterback. You can look at the offensive numbers when, before Zach got hurt. Look at the offensive numbers when Zach got hurt. Look at the numbers when Zach returned. There is a stark, significant uptick in offensive performance when Zach Wilson was not in the lineup. When it was Mike White, Joe Flacco, and Josh Johnson, when those three guys were playing, there was a significantly better offensive production in those games than the bulk of when Zach Wilson was in there. That can't be the case next year. So next year, he doesn't have to be elite. He doesn't have to be Joe Burrow in year two. He doesn't have to be Justin Herbert in year two. He doesn't have to be Pat Mahomes in year two. Just get to a point where you're not the reason the team is losing or you're not the reason the team is struggling. Above average, good. If that is your baseline, is that if that's where you are playing at as a quarterback, if that's where you are at as a quarterback, that's a positive major step in the right direction. Then in year three, fo to focus on taking that next level jump to where you're saying, okay, this kid's a franchise quarterback. Focus on that in year three. Year two, just get to the good. Aside from that, Zach Wilson takes that jump. I think the Jets will be in a position to win six or seven games. If you want to get to eight or nine, it's really simple. And it sounds lame saying it because it's this simple. You need to get better players. That's it. Like you, you need to get better players on this roster because you can look at this offense. And we talked about it on defense. And we talked about it on a lot of the positions on offense with the Jets. After a number of these guys got hurt in the offense that the Jets were trotting out and the defense the Jets were trotting out and saying, how many of these players would start for another team? When that answer is C.J. Mosley, that's a problem. That's an issue, right? Because Corey Davis was gone. Elijah Moore was gone. Like, that's an issue when you could only say one, two, three players would start on another team. You need to get to a point where your starting lineup, before injuries take toll, your starting lineup, you're like, you know what? We got a lot of guys who would start for other teams. 
And if you can go out there and you can get a receiving tight end, a good receiving tight end this year, if you can continue to fortify that offensive line with the right guard and right tackle position or left tackle position, depending on what happens there with Becton, if you can add a number one receiver, if on defense you can get that ball hawking corner, you can add another pass rusher, you can fortify the interior of the defensive line, and you can fix that safety spot, if you can infuse this roster with talent, that's now when we're talking about a team that is not going to – you talk about Zach getting to the point where he is playing above average decent football, and then you infuse that roster with additional talent, that's when you get to a team that's not winning six or seven games, but is winning eight or nine games. If you get to that eight or nine game plateau, that's when you talk about, okay, now we're maybe a playoff team. Maybe things break our way and we're in the playoffs. And that, I, that's where I, I genuinely believe the Jets can do that this offseason. With the salary cap space they have and the draft picks they have and Zach Wilson going home and realizing and being told sternly by the Jets, you need to be better. I believe the Jets can take that next step. But again, it all, it all hinges on the quarterback because it does. I mean, they can put an all-star team around Zach. If he doesn't take a big step, it's not going to matter, but it all hinges on the quarterback and then getting everyone else around him better too. I mean, if you can get that step from Zach and then infuse the roster with talent, that's when you can take a Bengals like jump. You mentioned the number one receiver and the Bengals were able to draft Jamar Chase, who obviously already had a history with Joe Burrow back at LSU and all of that. Um, it's hard to draft that guy, um, but the Jets have to find that guy somewhere, whether it's the draft or free agency. And Marissa, I think we have another question about that, right? Coming up. We do. And this is Sam, and he has some wide receiver questions. So, Sam, Yo, take up, it away. What's Happy up, birthday, Connor. Thank um, you, dude. I appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you. I also read your article yesterday. That was mad good. Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. Thank you. I spent a lot of time on that one. Kind of figured. But, um, <laughs> um, so I have a question. I kind of changed my question about the wide receiver because I was sitting so long, but it's still a good one. But, <laughs> yeah. um, I just want to know if you heard any like players that the Jets staff liked at Mobile. Like you heard any like rumblings, like players' names, like anything. Yeah. So it's so, 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 so early. So, I mean, I know they like the offensive lineman there. I know that Christian Watson stood out to him. I know that they like uh, a kid from uh, Wilson, Garrett Wilson. I know they like him. Like I know there, there are players that this team likes because it fits their mold. The thing about the draft is that draft rumblings, who the Jets like, who the Jets are potentially targeting at four and 10. You're not going to hear anything with legitimate substance until after free agency. That's just a fact. I mean, I know people say like when they go into the draft, it's where BPA, 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 BPA. That's just not the case. That's that's not the case. Free agency a lot of times dictates what a team ends up doing in the draft because you go in with team needs, right? Like you go in with like, these are our list of needs. So say like we're talking pass rusher, right? Like Jets, pass rusher, pass rusher, pass rusher. That's what the Jets need is pass rusher, pass rusher, pass rusher. If they go and they sign a pass rusher in free agency to a 50, 60, $70 million contract. And they pair that guy with Carl Lawson. The odds of them drafting Thibodeau at four are very slim because you just invested that money there. Same thing with safety, right? Like we talk about Kyle Hamilton. Well, if the jets go out there and they sign Bates, who's going to be free agent, or they sign Marcus Williams as a free agent, or they sign both of those guys. And suddenly you got two safeties with Ashton Davis. Well, they're not going to draft Kyle Hamilton, no matter if he's the number one player on their board, because they just signed two safeties. They invested money in them. So, there are players they like, but the Jets will tell you they don't even really have their draft board fully set up yet, and they are not going to do that until after they get through free agency. They'll have the general idea, but when they really start fine-tuning, fine-detailing, T-crossing, I-dotting, that's after free agency. Once they figure out where they're allocating their funds, figure out who they're signing, figure out who they're bringing back to their own free agents. Once they do that, that's when they will redirect their attention and say, like, okay, let's go and let's figure out what we want to do. You mentioned receivers, and, and that was kind of the going into this. I mean, there are going to be guys there, but 
the thing that I keep hearing, and I keep hearing this from so many people, not just people with the Jets, but people that I trust around the other league, people I trust from other people around the league, other teams, the receivers this year, there's no, forget Jamar Chase. I mean, that guy might be generational. There is no Devonta Smith in, in this year's class. I mean, I had somebody tell me that if Elijah Moore was in this year's class, he's going top 15. Like, so Elijah Moore, whom the Jets got in the second round, who the Jets really like, believes a really good player, He's a top 15 pick at receiver this year because of where the receiver class is. Garrett Wilson, good player. Jamison Williams, obviously, he's a guy who's going to be out for a little bit with the injury, so you don't know where how that's going to impact. He might slide down. Drake London, somebody who I know DJ's going crazy over and everyone's going wild with. Olaf from Ohio State, Traylon Burks, Arkansas. I mean, there's a lot of players here, but from my understanding, all those guys, you've got a lot of good. A lot of good players, potentially very good players. You don't know if there's a true number one. And I'm going to go down on the boat, and I've said this over and over and over again, and I keep saying it over and over and over again, and I don't want to sound like a broken record. I apologize if I do. But I just feel that the best thing that the Jets can do for their offense is acquiring a proven number one receiver, somebody that you know is a number one receiver. That, to me, and I keep going back to is Calvin Ridley. I know he's got issues with the coaching staff over there. I know the Falcons are open to trading him. I don't think the more that I talk to people, the more the original, like, oh, the Jets will you know, trade a first-round pick for Calvin Ridley. The more people I talk to that have given me the rundown, I don't know if you'll even have to go that high. It might be a second, might be a second, and then something. But in my opinion, if you can get him, Calvin Ridley, to me, is a number one receiver. I think he's a number one receiver. When you draft a receiver, I know people will say, well, look what Odell did. Look what Chase did. Look what Smith did. Look what Mike Evans did. That's not the norm. The vast majority of receivers that are drafted in the first round or even the second round, they don't have those first big seasons in year one. Look at Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman had a solid first year with the Colts, really came out in year two. It takes time to develop. Receivers some usually takes two, one year, sometimes takes two years. And that's completely normal where you're getting their full production. You're getting their top play. You're getting them at their, okay, you're now a number one. Come year two, really come year three. Year three is when you get there. I don't think the Jets want to wait that long. Like, I don't think you can wait that long. You want a player that's going to help Zach Wilson now. If you go and you get Calvin Ridley, you are putting into this offense a number one receiver now. That makes Zach Wilson better because obviously he now has a number one guy. You have a guy who knows how to read or run routes, knows how to read coverages, has already played in the NFL and has an understanding and knows what it takes to be a professional. You're eliminating the bust factor because there's no bust factor because you've seen the guy can do it. He makes Zach Wilson better because obviously you're giving him number one receiver makes the offensive line better because the receivers are going to get open, open quicker because now you've got better guys out there. You're making Corey Davis and Elijah Moore better because you can't double them because you've got uh, Calvin Ridley on the other side. He's going to make the running game better because you can't stack the box because Calvin Ridley's there. He just has a wholesale impact on quarterback, running back, receiver, offensive line. I don't necessarily know if a rookie does that. Now, if we were talking about Jamar Chase being in this year's draft, Devonta Smith being in this year's draft, that changes things because those guys were next level graded receivers. This isn't about uh, Garrett Wilson being the number one receiver in this class. You're talking about the individual number grade that is going to be given to Garrett Wilson is not nearly as high as what was given to Devonta Smith, was not nearly as high as what was given to Chase, and probably right in par with what was given to Elijah Moore. So, yeah, he's the best receiver in this year's draft, but that doesn't mean he's the best receiver for the Jets right now. In my opinion, getting Calvin Ridley, I know Mike Thomas probably isn't going to be traded, but trading for a guy that is a number one receiver now will be best for this team because you're eliminating the bus factor. You're having immediate 
instant impact on multiple positions. It's not just about Zach. It's about everyone else. Other receivers, running back offensive line, like I said, I just think that benefits them more than drafting a receiver. I really, I, re I genuinely feel that. I genuinely feel that. And it's because from what I've heard, and I've told you guys, I'm not the scout, all that stuff. From what I've heard from talking to people, there just isn't the bona fide, no doubt, Beckham, Evans, Smith, uh, Chase. That guy is not in this year's class. So why reach for one when you can go get someone you know is the proven guy, in my opinion? The other thing, just to get back to the Bengals here before we move on to another topic, um, when you look at the other side of the ball, Connor, and the defense, that's an area where the Bengals didn't really do the draft game. That was an area where going into two years ago, and especially this year, they knew they had to improve that side of things quickly. And they did it yeah. through a, a lot of free agency, a lot of signings and bringing guys in. Um, and they really revamped the defense on the fly. How does that compare as to how you think the Jets approach the defense? Yeah, well, I know, I know, defense is priority. This, obviously. I mean, I don't think that's right. breaking news. Like that's probably I mean, more watch. draft, though, right? For the Jets, I think it's gonna be both. Like, here's the yeah. thing: is that and and you look at the way you look at the players, like the they, like I know the Bengals signed Trey Hendrickson. Like that's gonna be the one that everyone points to, and it's right. The 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 Jets chose. You know, they they were the the Bengals let Carl Lawson walk to the Jets, and they replaced him with Trey Hendrickson. And Hendrickson came out of nowhere, to, or didn't come out of nowhere. Had it had the best year of his career, his first year in Cincinnati. I mean, he was a dominant, dominant pass rusher, but. Aside from him, and maybe when they went out and they signed Trey Waynes, was that last year or two years ago, whenever it was, the vast majority of players that they signed in free agency to fix their defense, they weren't like massive, massive give out money guys. I mean, look at the ones that started on that defense, the, the one corner that they signed from Dallas, right? Eli Apple, who was out there, BJ Hill, the former giant, um, the Von Bell, the safety. I mean, these guys weren't given massive, massive, groundbreaking, game-changing, holy cow, first day, first wave of free agency signings. It was smart signings. It was seeing like, okay, we need this type of a player. Let's go get this guy. And it was almost like they signed a bunch of like Sheldon Rankins type guys. And it just helped fortify the defense. And the one thing I'll go back to the Jets D is I don't think it was as bad as people thought. I think it was just absolutely ravaged by injuries. And they didn't have anyone, like, like the, the players that they drew up is like, this is going to be our starting defense in week one. They're like all gone. I mean, between Lawson going, the uh, Joiner going, May going, all of the different players they lost at different times. Quinn and Williams playing with one shoulder. I mean, even the players that were out there were out there hurt. You know what I mean? So the Jets do need to add to this defense. They need to fix this defense. But I think the Bengals' philosophy of finding smart signings, not flashy signings, to add more and continue to really build a defense while you continue to add guys in the draft and continue to work towards the draft. I think that's the smart approach. I really do. I mean, I think that's how good teams are built. I really, I, that's genuinely what I believe is that's how good teams are built. They're not bought, they're built. And you, the minute you start changing that, that's when you get yourselves into trouble. And, and the one that I would point to, and it's right across town is look at the giants. Like look at the way the giants have spent so frivolously in free agency. And I think the Rams are an exception with the way they traded for guys, because the guys that they got, they traded for, they didn't sign like insane in free agency. They signed guys, but you look at the giants. They wanted to close the gap gap, gap quick. Dave Gettleman realized he was on the hot seat. So he started spending frivolously, whether it was Kenny Galladay, whether it was a Dory Jackson, whether it was the Leonard Williams contract that he handed out. Uh, it was golden Tate after they let um, uh, Beckham go, you start signing dumb dollars in free agency, and you're going to get yourself into a position where the team is in trouble. The Bengals didn't do that. There's no dumb contracts on that team. There's no bad contracts on that team. They found guys they felt could help their team and they signed them and they added them. And you saw it all come together this year. So I think the Bengals approach to defensive free agency is the right way to go. Like, like, but you're going to see the Jets invest 
a solid amount of their picks on defense though. Like that's, that's, it's going to be a whole, it, dude, it's going to come everywhere. I don't know what I'm saying. Like, it's literally going to come everywhere. They're going to sign guys, but when it comes there, I would, the flashiest defensive signing I could see this team making, honestly, is like Marcus Williams or maybe Bates if he hits free agency. Like signing a safety who I think because they I know they want a safety is I think like signing or, or adding a somebody like that. I think that could be your big splashy one. And you're going to see a lot of resources in the draft dedicated to it. More on the draft coming up, including did the Jets figure out the secret to a successful draft a year ago? We'll talk about Connor's story on The Athletic after this break. All right. Welcome back. Joe Douglas has had two drafts in charge of the Jets. The 2020 draft we've talked a lot about on this podcast. It does not look good two years later. It looks terrible, actually. The 2021 draft looks completely different. There's some players that obviously that you got to hang your hat on and hope Zach Wilson becomes a star. But there's already players who have kind of shown that they're going to be good NFL players. And there's depth in that draft as well. And the approach to those two drafts, were very different. And Connie, you wrote about it this week. It was basically something that Joe Douglas went through in Philadelphia, talking to everybody, figuring out the types of players you need to draft, not just the best available, mm -hmm. but then the fact that Robert Sala, when coming to the Jets, took that whole idea to the next level. Just kind of explain how your story came about and, and what it's all about. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of heard a couple different things when I was down in Mobile about the way things changed from the 2020 to 2021 because when you look at that 2020 draft and the jets aren't willing to give up on it yet i know they get very sensitive when you when you criticize it i mean joe's obviously he's still he still likes and believes in them there are people that still like and believe in them i look at it and i know i've talked to enough people to look at it, and they're like this draft's a wash i mean they really it is just top to bottom when you are talking about Braden Mann being the only player that is guaranteed a starting job heading into their third season in this class. That's a problem. You know what I mean? I mean, Makai Becton, the Jets can't trust him, so he's competing with George Fan. Denzel Mims probably going to be gone. Ashton Davis, Jets act actively looking to replace. James Morgan, already gone. LaMichael P. Ryan going to follow, uh, likely Mims out the door. I mean, there's so many. Bryce Hall, obviously, he's, he's a, a solid find for the Jets where they got him. He is absolutely a solid pick, solid find. But again, you're talking about a fifth round pick who might not be the starting cornerback next year. So top to bottom, that draft, it's just not good. And the Jets aren't willing to give up on it yet. The Jets are still trusting it. But you look at it and it is bad. Like it really is a bad class top to bottom. Then you go to the 2021 class and it's like, it, it's, it is a, I don't want to say, if, if Zach Wilson is a franchise quarterback, if Zach Wilson's a franchise quarterback, that is a franchise changing, franchise altering draft. Because the Jets believe wholeheartedly Elijah Vera Tucker is a borderline all-pro. Mike Carter is a 10-year starter in the NFL. Uh, Elijah Moore is a star. Like, there are players. And then you add in some of the other guys that are just going to be, even if they're not starters, if they're just valuable depth pieces that if somebody comes down, you believe they can fill in, whether that's Pinnock, whether that's Eccles, uh, Jonathan Marshall. I mean, there's just so many guys. The other Michael Carter, who is going to be a 10-year starter at Nickel Corner. Like, you just have so many players top to bottom in that draft that just look like real legitimate either stars starters or just contributors and the fact that like if you get three of those guys in one draft and jets seem to have gotten like eight of them how do you do that with the same people drafting the same people scouting them compared to the year before where it was almost like a complete swing and a miss and what i was able to dig up and what i was able to hear about and and then start diving and doing some reporting on 
was this meeting that that Joe Douglas and Robert Sala had shortly after Robert Sala was hired as as the Jets head coach. And you know when when Joe Douglas before he joined the the Jets, he was in Philadelphia. And in Philadelphia, he came in 2017. The Eagles had hired Doug Peterson as their head coach in 2016. So Joe was basically Howie Roseman was the GM's right-hand man. You know, Howie's not really a super, super football guy. So it was Joe who came in to do the draft, learn about pro free agency, get, get, get ready for a general manager job, but really run the draft and all that stuff. So what Doug Peterson suggested and what the Eagles ended up doing was a meeting between Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson, and Joe, uh, Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson, and Joe Douglas. And the three men sat down and basically Doug went over every position on offense and defense and what he wanted that player to do for his scheme and his offense and the defense to work. So we want a quarterback that does this, running backs that do this, receivers that do that. It was a general overview, but Joe felt that it really, really helped him and his staff get an idea of what they were looking for. Not just scouting players, not just trying to find good players, but finding the good, right players for the team. So he had that meeting with, with Doug, and he had that meeting with Howie, and then he went and he relayed it to his scouts and his executives, and they went out there and they started drafting. When he came to the Jets in 2020, he didn't have a chance to do that with Adam because of the timing of his hiring, right? He didn't have a timing. And then by the time that all hell broke loose, it was basically like, shit, Adam's getting fired. Like, now's not the time to do it, all that stuff. And, and Adam Gase was gone. When the Jets went through their hiring process with Robert Sala and they eventually picked Robert Sala and hired Robert Sala Joe basically said to him like look man we did this in Philly I found it was very helpful I'd like to do it again with you and your staff and Robert basically said I'm gonna do you one better this ain't gonna be just me and you chatting we're gonna have a a full-on presentation and literally for an entire day sun up to sundown Robert Sala Mike LaFleur, Jeff Ulbrich, every single positional coach, every single assistant met through the power of Zoom with not just Chad Alexander, Rex Hogan, and Joe Douglas, but every single area national scout that the Jets have. Every single scout that is employed by the Jets was in on this meeting. Sala talked, LaFleur talked, Ulbrich talked. Every single positional coach with film, with film, went through exactly what they want their dream players to do within their offense and within their defense. And it wasn't just about like, oh, we want receivers who are really fast. It was like John Benton would get up there and be like, watch how our, this offensive guard in San Francisco attacks his first step. Look at that first step. Look at how it's not too left, not too right. It's this, it's that. Look at that first step. That's what I want because if we get that kind of a first step, it means he'll be able to do this, 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 and this, and it'll work. And they showed through excruciatingly painful detail exactly what they wanted. And again, there wasn't anything lost in translation there was no like middlemen. There was no, okay, the positional coach relays it to, you know, uh, John Benton relays it to Michael Floor, who relays it to Robert Sala, who then tells Joe Douglas and Joe Douglas then tells his scouts through the power of Zoom. Every single scout employed by the Jets was able to sit in on that meeting, see that film, hear it from the coaches' mouths, and then go out there and find their players. And look, we're going to see how Zach Wilson develops. We're going to see which uh, rookies take the next step. We're going to see if this class in 2021 looks and develops like we think they're going to. But if they do, it all goes back to that meeting because it basically allowed everyone within the Jets organization without any type of gray area or stone unturned to get in one line and in sync with each other. And 
You want to find out like why the 2020 class looked like it did and why 2021 was so much better. The Jets are going through. I mean, look, the, the Jets are the Jets are well aware that 2020 is not did not turn out the way that they want. And they have gone over and Joe Douglas has gone over every potential move that the Jets made, every potential move the Jets could have made, why they picked this player instead of this player, why they chose to do this instead of that. Could they have gone in? The, I mean, they have done everything in their power to figure out the mistakes that were made and how to not make those mistakes again. And that's going to play a role when Joe goes into draft three and draft four and draft five, because every year you get a little better every year you self scout and self evaluate. But that meeting that he had with Robert Sala and his coaching staff, it allowed everyone to get on one page where now Jets scouts aren't out there just scouting good players. They're scouting good players. And they're also scouting specifically within those good players will allow them to be their best players with the Jets. And Honestly, part of me is like, why is this not done all over the place? <laughs> right. I don't know why it's not done all over the place, but I think Jet fans can can be happy that it's finally being done with their team. And and people talk all the time. People ask all the time about like, why should you know? It's another rebuild. And, you know, Joe's saying the same thing that Mike said, and Mike said the same thing that that Idzik said, and Idzik said the same thing Tannenbaum said. And why are we supposed to fall and believe? that now it's the right way, that now we're doing it the right way, that now we're headed in the right direction. Why should we believe that when we've been sold this before? You know what I mean? Like you get punched in the face five times. Eventually, if I lift my hand, even if it's just to scratch my ear, you're going to flinch. Why should we not flinch this time? I think this story kind of indicates and shows you why you should at least feel better and maybe finally trust this team to get it right because it is different. It is unique. And this is why it's different and unique this time around compared to what it was the last few. So they had the meeting heading into last draft season and they got everybody on the same page. So is there, was there a reboot of this meeting to kind of like refresh people or is it just something yeah, that they once talk these, the yeah. Okay. Yeah. They talk, but that, they but talk nothing the like that. It's not an annual day long party. No, no, no. This was, this was like, okay, we just hired a new coach. This new coach brought in a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator. We're going to be doing things different than Adam did, than Joe did back in Philadelphia, than Joe did with Chicago, Joe did with Baltimore. Show us what, like, honestly, like, we talk about it. It's Joe Douglas's job to get the players, right? Joe, It's Joe's job to go and get the players. It's Robert's job to coach the players, right? But if Robert's coaching and Robert wants to make a, a chicken parm tonight, right? And Joe gives a mistake. Well, suddenly it's like, well, what the hell? So it's it's Joe's job to go find the ingredients that are going to make Robert Sala's meal the best it can be. And this was allow this was basically a way to get every single person in the building to write down and hand him the shopping list and then say, can you go get us this? And now it's the scouts jobs to go out there and get it. But the fact that there was, again, the biggest thing in this, and it's honestly like this is, I think, the biggest part of it. And this is what was. Because Robert did a similar thing when when Kyle took over with um, John Lynch in San Francisco. Like they did something similar with a similar like all day, really comprehensive meeting. But what was different this time is the power of Zoom allowed them to get every single scout that's that lives all across the country in one place at one time. So it was. And then with everyone being able to come on and give their meetings, I mean, that's what if you want to talk about the benefit of the pandemic, this is one of them for the Jets is that they were able to figure out a way to get all of their scouts in one place at one time. And they were able to tell all of these guys what they're looking for again. And it's the fact that every single positional coach spoke. Every single assistant spoke. They all came with film. That's what made it take so long is they went over film review of every single player specifically what they wanted. And did it work? 
it certainly looks like it worked. I mean, when you look at what they did in 20 and what they did in 21, if this 22 class where the Jets have all these picks ends up turning out the same way as 2021, I think you can continue and keep pointing back to that meeting as the reason why. Yeah, that'll the, the we'll see if it was a one year, you know, lucky flash in the plan or if it continues. That that'll be the key. And this is the sort of thing where you would think, like you said, you'd think every team would do this, and you probably see more and more teams starting to do this. Well, you should check out the, the story. And that's, you don't always have that. It takes the right GM and the right head coach to be on the right. same page and the right GM to be open and not just say like, you'll make whatever player I find working. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of ego in the NFL. Truly there is. And and you got to find a way to get past that. Yeah. Work together. Can't we all just work together? All right. If you want to read that story by Connor, we have a new deal for you for the athletic right now. You can join for just $1 per month for six months to get that deal. Go to the athletic.com slash can't wait. We are going to be off for, uh, well, we'll be back in two weeks, basically, unless something big happens. And then obviously we'll fire things up for an emergency podcast. But otherwise, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. At least me and Connor will. Marissa taking care of some bigger business. You're going to live stream from her wedding? You want to live stream from her wedding? It could happen. We'll see. All right. That's going to do it for us. Join us again next time on the Can't Wait Podcast.